Hey, everybody, and welcome to week 19 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I'm Andrea Pagnosi, your host, and I'm also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everybody in 2022 to a better place in their career. Thanks for joining. You know, before we get started today, I have some really exciting news. I don't typically plug our business, but I feel compelled to shout from the rooftops when something goes particularly well for my coaching clients. And for our incredibly supportive listeners, I think it's important to hear that we've reached a milestone, one that I didn't anticipate. So today, the average person looking for a job takes about three or four months from beginning to end. It's competitive out there. It's a grueling process. That's why I do what I do on these podcasts to try to make it a little easier for people. And it's why I do what I do as a coach. And I try to empower people to put their best selves in front of prospective employers. We just got word that we are 20 under six for 2022. I'm going to repeat that again. We are 20 under six for 2022. What does that mean? That means that Flink Coaching helped through coaching 20 people get jobs in under six weeks. That's incredible. I'd love to say it's my fabulous coaching, but really coaching only goes so far. We can't control whether the client is actually going to actually implement the things you discuss. In this case, I've got to tell you, I'm so proud of these clients because they did. Each and every one of them used some of our tips, our techniques, really dove into coaching. And that's the thing. If you're anticipating that you're going to hire a coach, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. If you take it seriously, if you really apply the things that you're learning through coaching, you're going to have great things happen. If you just sit there and say, yeah, that's nice. Ah, this isn't working for me. Ah, I don't know. Doing the same old, same old, you're going to keep getting the same old, same old. So I want to shout from the rooftops. I'm so proud of our clients. 20 people placed in roles under six weeks for this year so far, and there's more to come. So I am excited about that. I also want to mention that two of the individuals were people we didn't even foresee helping in this marketplace. Both of them were people whose parents called Flink Coaching and asked for career coaching for their graduating seniors. So we have another announcement. Flink Coaching and Consulting is actually expanding to building your own career path for graduates. This has been about a year in the making, and it is super exciting. Great college graduation gift is to invest in coaching and help your seniors, as I did those two clients, prepare themselves for the working world. Those student loans are not going to wait forever. So you do need to get out there and get a job. And it's not easy because Despite extremely expensive college educations, they don't teach you how to draft a resume, how to do a cover letter. There are courses on that, but not every college curriculum and college student is really even thinking that far ahead. And these two individuals just nailed it on their interviews and got jobs before graduation, which is outstanding stuff. So we are expanding our program to welcome in college graduates that are looking to get their first career at set a career path early in their career. How many of us can say we did that? Not many. For more information on that, contact us at info at flintcoachingllc.com.
So a few episodes ago, I shared the best answers to the worst five questions that companies will ask prospective employees. Today, we're going to flip the tables a bit. We're going to dig a bit deeper into culture, the development process, if any, that might exist. It's really important that you come to the table and actually employers are looking for this now as a form of interest and investment in themselves and the company they're trying to work with is what questions do you have? And if you sit there and say, no, I think you've answered everything. Or you say, well, not at this time. Today, we're going to talk about the five questions you need to ask a prospective employer. So let's get started because this is a really important program and one that doesn't get enough attention in an interview because we are not programmed to ask questions in an interview. We're expected to answer them. After my parents passing, we cleaned out the house. There was stuff from my father's desk and I opened it recently. And there was this little booklet that was published in 1965, which was about the time my father was laid off. It was before I was born. And in 1965, that's when he really took the leap of opening his own business. So it made sense that he had this booklet because the booklet was how to interview to build your team. What's really interesting about the booklet is that instructs exactly the opposite from what I'm going to tell you to do today, 55 years later. So a lot's happened. I'm going to paraphrase this segment of the book, but there's this page that talks about interviews and it literally says curiosity is not a preferred behavior of a new employee because it tends to be toxic and you must eliminate them at once if they ask questions during the interview that are curious and not pointed towards the company's needs. That person is selfish and should be removed from the building immediately. Fast forward, thank goodness, to 55 years later and here we sit and Employers, as I said before, are actually asking what other questions do you have looking for you to ask questions. It's not just a formality or a courtesy. It is really what can I answer because they know you're looking at other jobs. They want to know that you have an inquisitive, invested mindset in who they are. There's a lot of things that have happened that have been great for the workforce in 55 years. There are more women in the workplace. There's more female corporate leaders. In fact, corporate leaders are of all races and religions and experiential levels. And that's a great thing. We now have safeguards and equal opportunities for various groups, including the LGBTQ plus community and people of color or various religions. Sexual harassment is now a punishable offense. It wasn't back then. It's just a different working world. Same concept, though, is that you want to hire people that are invested in what you're doing at your company. And so they want to hear the questions you have to ask and the thought process behind why you're interested in their company. We're not going to dig into the history behind the changes. We're just going to talk shop today about why it's important to ask these questions and what those questions, more importantly, what good looks like in terms of a company responding to them. Since 2019, over 15 million people have gone in search of greener pastures, left their current jobs, and found new ones. And a recent article in LinkedIn 
showed that 40% of those people, 40% of 15 million, they actually are looking again. They solely on my clients and conversations I've had with recruiters and HR teams. I call that the turn and burn where you get into a new position and you turn and burn quickly. You, you burn out and you get the hell out very quickly. It's a real thing in various industries. And there are two predominant reasons why. Number one, I said it earlier, there are no greener pastures. And number two, people just aren't in the same place mentally or physically as they were historically. And when I say physically, I don't mean everybody got obese. I mean, a lot of people gained weight during the pandemic, but that's not what I'm referring to. It's that physically they're in an environment they're comfortable with, which is working from home virtually or wanting to get back into a workspace with other people. And depending upon the corporate situation, they are not able to do that. So sometimes even a new job that just didn't work out, they didn't read the signs correctly. And the number one question I ask them is, what questions did you ask about the corporate culture or about how they lead the leadership values, the core values of the organization? And they'll say, I either A, did not get time to ask questions, which is ridiculous because you could always email people. They're saying that I'm not judging them for being ridiculous. They're saying it's ridiculous. I could have emailed or because they just simply didn't think of the questions. And had they, they might have been given lip service, but they're pretty good BS detectors. And I think some people would have made an about face and they would have turned and burned long before they accepted a job. So before you even walk in the door as an employee, it's good to ask the questions of what exists today. The first question is, what's your turnover rate and why is this job even open? The answers to these questions are going to tell you a great deal about the health of an organization. So if the job you're interviewing for is due to an expansion, that's pretty good news. Maybe it's a newly created position. Maybe there's a new product that they're launching. Maybe there's just some financial backing or a merger or an acquisition you're coming into and it's things are healthy financially. If that's the answer... And that's great. The follow-up should still be around, where do you see this job going? That you see a future in and how are we going to be supported to be developed in this new role? What forethought has gone into the training and the acclimation of a new person in this role. Because one of the things that I'm noticing companies are doing is they are investing in training and development more than they have historically, which is great for someone who has been doing training and development for years. It wasn't great when they weren't investing in it, but it's nice to see. It means that those of us who've been plugging away at training for all these years actually starting to pay off. People are starting to listen to how important that actually is for companies and for people coming into an organization, set them up for success. I urge you to ask the question, what do you do to sustain the learning? How do your leaders support what comes out of training and how do they continue to coach people throughout development? That is a great deal of questions that all originates from that first one. The what's your turnover rate aspect of the question is important to note because it tells a lot about the culture itself. And if the answer is, well, it's a little higher than 
average, or it's, well, we don't really measure for that. That's kind of evasive. And I would press a little harder. If they give you a hard number and they, or they sidetrack and say, well, we do a glint survey every year. We do some sort of a satisfaction survey like glint. The impact has been very minimal as to the pandemic. And we've implemented strategies to try to improve our turnover rate, to reduce it and improve our satisfaction scores. I think that that is a good sign. How how specific they get is important to the answer of that question, because if they can't get granular, there may be something that they're hiding. So if you have an opportunity to have an interview panel, I would ask this question as a follow-up. So I talked to human resources about your turnover rate and why this job is open. Why do you think people come to this company and stay? So you're putting it in a more positive light and you're taking it out of HR's opinion box and adding in flavor from people who really work within the culture and have seen people leave or stay. So if you want to spin it more positively and get a better answer, spin it with the people working in the business. It shows that you have interest and that you are invested in the company, but you're also invested in your long-term happiness. So again, that question is, I've talked to HR about the turnover rate and why this job is open, but I'd like to hear from you as an employee to say, what have you seen throughout the pandemic and even prior to that, that has led you or others to come to this company and to stay? We do tend to focus on the downside of a turnover, which is why I offer the spin question and focusing on why people stay. I share this example though, because it paints a powerful picture of a company actually doing well in the wake of tough financial times. We see an inflation coming. We're experiencing some companies with layoffs that are pretty well noted. And client of mine who asked this question, she was shown a synopsis of exit interview results. And the biggest reasons for people leaving around things was promotability. So they were vulnerable. They showed real humility in showing her that data, who they're trying to lure in. It was a relatively flat organization. So there isn't a lot of promotability. And when my client asked why people were so content, the company rep said, we pay well, we engage people and we're honest. And she said, yeah, I can't argue with that. You were just very honest, very humble about we're a flat organization. We don't have a lot of promotability. I see why people leave. But to be lower than the national average of turnover in their industry, even with a flat organization, not a lot of promotability, that speaks volumes. So I can't name that company. I don't have permission, but I think it was, it was very apropos. Forbes magazine has published more than a few anyway articles about the price of compromised integrity in the workplace. It costs headcount. It equates to turnover. When trust is breached, it has a ripple effect. It permeates organizations. Now more than ever, we're pushing companies to walk the talk. So our last episode introduced us to a woman named Jen Laidlaw, who has dedicated her entire career to getting companies to do just that, is to walk the talk. And we have to have lessons now in integrity, it seems. <laughs> Come on, corporate America get it together. If you say you're diverse and you don't have a stitch of difference represented in the seats of your company, you aren't walking the talk. If you say you have opportunity, but yet you're not promoting from within for this job I'm interviewing. So you can't really look me in the eye and say, Hey, we're all about promoting from within. People leave where they don't see people like them and where they don't see opportunity.
So if you say you listen to your people, but you don't ever ask their opinion, that's not walking the talk. If you say you value people, show me, show me in the interview, tell me stories, introduce me to people who've done well, send me a promo video, connect me with someone who walks the talk, give me references. I have to supply them for you. Why not reciprocally? You give me two or three people who are happy. Instead, what they do is they put a panel of good interviewers or decent interviewers together who are all leadership or who are all telling you the same thing. Because what I really want to know is why this job? Why me for this job? And if you hire me, what am I going to encounter that might have been the very reason why this job is vacant? So ask that question. Why is this job vacant? The second question comes from a very commonplace headspace for a hiring manager. When they ask you about your biggest opportunities and strengths, you showed them your best in that part of the interview. You shared your weaknesses. You were, you were very humble. And now it's time for them to reciprocate. So what I coach people to do is consider asking asking your hiring manager these questions too. Not just their opinion of the company's opportunities and strengths, but of their personal attributes as well. It's only fair and it gives you a real peek at how real your prospective manager may be. How woke are they to what's really going on in the company? How honest they are with you. And self-deprecating humor is my favorite. So if they joke about it, even better. But most will evasively put push this question off or be taken aback. So you want to tread a little bit lightly on this question, and it may sound something like this. I really appreciate you asking me about my opportunity areas and such. It certainly can be a factor in hiring me. So thank you for the opportunity to share that with you. I'm wondering if you could share the same with me. What types of things would you say are your biggest strengths as a leader? And what areas would you like to improve in yourself? It isn't putting them necessarily on the spot, but it's a question they may not be expecting. Why is it important? Because if they answer you honestly, they may show a side of humility that says this person's invested in the experience at this company, not just the job. They're interested in the opportunity to be led by a strong leader. I've got to show my strengths and I've got to be honest because if I'm not, they're going to see through it and that doesn't put me or the company in a good place. The response should be very honest. Use your humility. Use your humanity. They've shown you theirs. You need to show them yours in the process by saying, hey, great question. Totally fair. Let me give you an opportunity to talk to one of my employees. I'd be happy for you to ask them that question. That shows trust. And it shows that it's probably not my opinion you want to hear from anyway. It's likely the opinion of of those who report to me currently. And where none of those people have actually been put on this interview panel, it probably makes sense for us to find somebody for you that can share with you who I am as a leader and what you might experience on my team. If you can't offer that up and that's against corporate policy or you're just not comfortable doing it or you're a new manager, share with them what was on your most recent review where your manager evaluated your strength. I'm happy to share this with you on my performance review, which was about two months ago. We identified just that. I'm happy to share it with you. And I'm glad that you're interested in it. Here are my strengths. Here are my opportunity areas. Here's what I'm doing to rectify or build my skill to be a better leader.
It's that simple. Just be straightforward and honest. It's not very commonplace to ask a prospective manager that. Sometimes we ask our HR teams that we're interviewing with, what are the company strengths and opportunities? What have you learned since the pandemic? What are you putting in place to try to rectify some of those opportunities? That's commonplace. But turning the tables on a prospective hiring manager, tread lightly, but tread. It shows that you want to know who you're working for and what they're going to do to better themselves. Because if they're all about bettering themselves and not about bettering their people, you need to know that. If they're all about bettering people and not themselves, you want to know that too. A mix of both is really the sweet spot. That's what you're really aiming for, is to find a leader that's just invested in everyone succeeding. The third question I would recommend and have recommended to some of my coaching clients to ask are, what are this year's objectives and how will my role contribute to that? It's essential coming in the door of someplace to understand the metrics of performance. Most people assume they already know if they take a similar job to the one they just had, but new companies, same role essentially, may measure their people differently. Don't allow yourself to be blindsided. Many of the people that are now looking again after just starting a new job in the last 18 to 24 months are doing so because during the pandemic, when things were difficult financially for a lot of companies, they expanded or contracted their workforce. Now they're looking at things differently and it is a method of cutting costs, expanding costs, investing differently with their income, the inflation rates going up, interest rate. They know they have to also bend with these financial challenges in our country today. And one of those things that gets reconsidered are the metrics, the performance ratings of individuals, how they pay on their pay scale, how they give merit increases and things like that. And so when these companies change those policies, it can be a deal breaker because I came here because you said one thing, again, it comes down to walking the talk and now you're curtailing. If you ask, it at least prepares you for excellence. So you can truly focus on your onboarding efforts to say, this is my job. This is what I do for the company. This is what we're gearing towards this year in terms of objectives. And I play a role in it. So at least gives you some accountability out of the gate and to continue to gauge on that accountability. As I understand it, this is what I'm supposed to be working on. This is what I'm doing to build my skill and to onboard quickly. How am I doing? What are the year's objectives and how will my role contribute to that? And if somebody cannot answer that as a leader without stuttering and stammering or shuffling papers, you're in for a real treat because that person clearly does not understand what your role will do to contribute. Hardcore fact, our company objectives this year are to grow profit margin by X percent. And your place in the company, our team's place in the company is responsible for this part of that goal or objective. I'm looking for somebody like yourself who brings that to the table. I think you would really excel in this role. The more granular in detail the response, the more that person has their finger on the pulse. Leaders should be very granular in detail about what what you will be bringing to the table in terms of contribution to the overall corporate objectives. 
And they should also be able to tell you how you'll be measured for that, at what intervals, what great looks like, and how it will pay off for you in the long run. The systems, the processes, the training, everything from a success perspective is need to know. So dig in with this question. How am I going to be set up for success? What type of training is offered to me? Will I be getting a mentor? How often will I be working directly with you? All of these questions are relevant. All of them need to be asked before you get in the door. And they lead to another question, which is the fourth question on this list. That's an important one. College graduates, as I mentioned, we're expanding that program for a company this year who have felt real resistance to me suggesting they should ask this early on because they don't really have an idea of what it truly means. And it involves career pathing and development. Does it even exist at this place? Because in some instances, it doesn't. Even if you're not in a place to move up right away, you may want to advance within role. And you certainly want to make more money over time. Sometimes advancement is the only lucrative way to continue to receive increased compensation beyond merit increases. Solutions, including corporate coaching, which I've done extensively over the past year, focusing mostly on the leaders. But other strategies involve implementing methodologies. I see DISC making a comeback. For those of you who are not familiar, it's an assessment that's given to workplaces to determine the four main personality profiles that assess how you work together and how you coach and lead people who have different behaviors to get them to be successful. And DISC stands for, it's actually an acronym that stands for, the D is dominance, the I is influence, the S is steadiness, and the C is consciousness. And like I said, this is a pretty standard operating behavioral assessment procedure that a lot of companies used to do in the late 90s, or early 2000s. Really, these behavioral assessments I take with a grain of salt, and I'm going to put my opinion in here. They serve a purpose only if it's not a one and done. But if you're really invested in becoming a DISC leader and you're certified to do it, implement other modalities to keep it alive and to maximize everybody's different personality. Career discussion, development discussions. If you just do it as a fun thing to do, team building exercise, but you do nothing about it except mention it here or there, implement strategies to really maximize everybody's potential at the company with it, which is really what DISC is all about, then you're just Again, you're not walking the top. So it's really, really important for people to ask, not even a foot in the door and say, what types of career pathing can I expect here and ongoing development? I'm sure you have an orientation program, but what beyond that can I realize if I'm hired for this position? It's a standard question that doesn't get asked enough. And the response should be really clear cut. If they're defaulting you back to human resources, that's not a good sign unless they're really new themselves. If they're really new themselves, you can always twist the question to be more about what are you like as a leader? What do you do to help just support people in general and advocate for them to be the best they possibly can be? These are important questions. Leaders should be prepared to answer them from the standpoint of, I'm a go-to leader. I'm somebody who is really incredibly invested in my people. And I know it's hard because you may really want this job. You may really need this job. 
But if you ask questions that show red flag and you're shocked that a year from now, you really can't stand working for this person. If you didn't ask the question, you have only yourself to blame. If you did ask and these questions came up, it's one thing to take the job and keep your eye open for something else. It's another thing entirely to take a job expecting it to change. That's like dating somebody that today is not good with kids and you're expecting them to be a great parent down the line. It isn't osmosis. It doesn't happen overnight and it may not. The probability isn't there. So you want to ask these questions to make the probability work in your favor. The best thing is to find somebody who will support you and be developed into who they judge to be a top performer. And that leads me to my final question. When you're interviewing with the direct report manager, Depending upon what you are looking for, depending upon what you need, depending upon what types of managers you worked for before that you didn't gel with, ask them this question. Are you an influencer, an innovator, an advocate, or a coach? What motivates me as an employee is having one of those four, influencer, innovator, advocate, or coach as a leader. And I'd love to hear about a time when that strength really showed up for you with a team member. So here they are. An influencer is somebody who is somebody that can move mountains in the organization to get something accomplished. So they're the lever pullers. They're people who will stand up for what they and their team believe in, in a corporate setting, in a group setting, and they will fight for what the team needs to be successful. They influence others with their ideas and their strategies, and they're very good at speaking. They're very articulate, but they're also extremely good listeners because in order to truly influence, you have to hear what people want and need in order to be able to deliver on it. Innovator is something completely different. It's somebody who is forward thinking, solutions minded, may not be the best people leader, but is the best person when you're looking for somebody who's looking to strike efficiencies, to be project managers and be really kind of clear on deadlines and timelines and that sort of thing. Financially efficient, they are effective leaders because they get the job done and they're dependable when you ask them for things. That Those are the qualities of an innovator. They're always finding new ways to do things and make your job easier. That's an innovator. And advocate is somebody who is incredibly dedicated towards their team, almost to a fault, where they enable careers, promotions, mentoring opportunities. They also pull levers, but in a different way than an influencer. They pull levers to advocate for you as an individual. You want to be careful with these leaders because they sometimes only advocate for the things that they believe in. So there are pros and cons to all of these, but an advocate is somebody you need when you're in a position in your career to advance and you need that backing. 
problem is they're not necessarily influencers, so they may not be as well connected as to be able to leverage what they need to, but they advocate for you. They're usually well liked by their organization because they don't forget what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. So that's an important part of the trade. The coach is somebody who's going to constantly want to be training you and developing you and making you the very best you can be. They are not necessarily people who can pull levers, but they're great people managers. People learn from them. They want to work for them because they walk the talk. I don't say that because I am a coach. In fact, coaches are really all about nurturing people and mentoring people and making sure they have the fundamentals to pull upon and to leverage when they need to. They're going to teach you to be autonomous. They're going to be a little more hands-off. They tend to be not aloof, but they have to be in the know at all times because they're great communicators and they're great at championing when you do things well. What they may not be really good at though, is when you're not doing things well, objectively coaching. All of these things have their best traits, but it depends on where you're at in your career and what you're looking for, which is the one you need. So ask that question, define them, tell them what motivates you as an employee up front, be human, ask them for specific examples of where they've been their best self as a leader. You don't want to ask them which they are, depending upon their example, you can kind of figure out which one they are quickly recap the questions that I think need to be considered when you're interviewing. What is your turnover rate and why is this job open? A sub-question to that is, why are you not promoting from within? Very strong questions out of the gate because it helps you understand, engage the climate of the community you may become a part of. Second question is, what are their strengths and opportunity areas? Very clearly, a great counter when they've asked that of you is to ask them the same right back at them. Number three, what are these years' objectives and how will my role contribute to it? It makes very good conversations to understand how you're going to be measured and how you will be rewarded with good performance. Number four, with good performance, what does career pathing look like? Moreover, beyond orientation, what type of development is available here? Really, really important what they do for their people to be successful. And finally, what type of a leader are you? What can I expect from you? Are you going to advocate for me? Are you going to be a coach? Are you going to innovate within the organization and hopefully make things faster, more effective, more efficient? Or are you going to be an influencer, a leader that speaks and walks the talk? These are really important questions that each of you should be considering anytime you're on an interview. I've really appreciated your attention today. I want to thank you for continuing to listen. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, more power. 